This morning our scripture passage is going to come from the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I'm sorry you don't have two Bibles and I forgot to print it, uh, so you just have to listen carefully, okay? Just two verses of Hebrews 12, though. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarded its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in my first church, the one I uh, worked at before I came here, I apologize if I've used this story before, but you know that church is called Jerusalem Reformed Church. And so knowing that I love the Old Testament, you can imagine how much mileage I got, a, got out of that over the years, right? Jerusalem Reformed. For example, when I first started, a picture of sanctuary not totally unlike this one, but the plaster had been falling in for years. And so right before I got there, they had done this building project, spent this huge chunk of money to repair all the walls. So it was done when I got there. Uh, and so one of the first tasks I had was to do a service of dedication, rededication for the sanctuary. Uh, and you can imagine the theme was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, which is an Old Testament thing. Anyway, so there was kind of a, you know, standing into that whole story of Jerusalem in the Old Testament and rebuilding the walls. And then I pointed out one really important thing. If you looked at the walls in that sanctuary, it was beautiful. If you looked down at the carpet, it was kind of gross. The carpet was probably older than those walls or <laughs> the last time they had fixed the plaster. And so if you can picture it, it, it was this sort of mauve, yet uh, somehow lavender color and when you walk between the fellowship hall and the sanctuary it was so worn out from people walking that spot right between the sanctuary and the fellowship hall that it wasn't even carpet anymore it was just these threads these strings over a patch of also wearing out pad right your pad underneath it so it was this mauve color over this patch of almost this color was the padding underneath, and that was wearing out too. So then you saw the black mesh at the very center down at the bottom of it. It was this big, ugly circle that you walked over all the time. And so what I said to them in that night when we were celebrating everything else was, I'm sure there'll be come a day when we cut out that piece of car, or we, we replace this carpet, but I want us to do one thing with it. Have I ever told you guys this story before? All right, good, here's what I told them to do. We're gonna cut a square around that carpet, that big ugly patch, and that's gonna get framed, and that's gonna get hung on the wall. Because like Paul, who I always think of the Apostle Paul in the Bible having really ugly feet, but that's like his pride because of all those missionary journeys he went on, he earned those ugly feet. That church earned its ugly hole in the carpet. Forget statues, forget monuments. This was the thing that showed that they were the church of Jesus Christ because they could wear out a carpet. And so I said, and this was the passage I used, by the way, was, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. 
You're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, starting new again, new minister, redone sanctuary, but we don't let go of our story that's ours, and that's the whole story of the Bible. This morning as we read that, this passage from Hebrews, well, I guess I should ask this. Do you guys resonate with that? I mean, does it make sense to you? Every spot of uh, dirt or spilled grape juice stains or crayons from the kids doing something on the pews is an honor and a, mo- and a monument to the fact that Jesus, God, has kept a people together. Anyway, so as we read this passage that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and I think we do resonate with that feeling like we're part of something that's been around a really long time. Today, as our sermon series is on bright golden lines, I want you to think about why would that be? Why would this be a bright golden line, and why would it be that we are inspired or moved by being connected to history. By the way, there's going to be two parts here because there's two verses of Hebrews and we're going to take it in two parts, so listen for that. But that's what I want you to try and kind of bring from an unconscious spot, just that, yes, I like the idea of being connected to history and story and my people and say, why does that matter? And how does that help me here and now? Okay? All right, so two parts. First part, we're going to begin with verse 1. And remember how this started? It was one great big word. Therefore. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run the perseverance, the race that is set before us. Therefore is where it started. And it is a loaded therefore. Because if you go back to chapter 11 of Hebrews, you will see that the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, we don't know, but whoever was writing this, packed a lot into this transitional word. Okay, so let's go through chapter 11. It's basically a long speech. And here's the structure of it. It's going to name a Bible character, And then it's going to name about that Bible character some sort of attribute that is worth, you know, why they made it into the Bible kind of thing, right? So, for example, it starts, the speech in chapter 11 starts with, by faith, Abel. Who remembers who Abel is in the Bible? He is the son of Adam and Eve. So we are going way back, right? The author of Hebrews is going all the way to the very beginning of this thing. And he's going, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And so you got to listen for this kind of structure. Sometimes the paragraphs get longer, the descriptions are longer, but uh, that's the structure. By faith, this person did something and then something that got them in the Bible. Okay, so next one is, by faith, Noah, warned by God about events yet unseen, respected the warning, and built an ark to save his household. If you look back at your own story, isn't that interesting that that's the way Hebrews talks about Noah? Did you ever think about it that way? Because we're in the middle of a pandemic, and what's his attribute? He respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. Then it goes on, by faith, Abraham, 
Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. That's his attribute. He didn't, he went, but he didn't know where he was going. As did Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Esau and Joseph, right? I mean, there's sections on each one of these characters in here. Then it gets to Moses. My, by faith, Moses left Egypt unafraid of the king's anger, for he perceived as though he saw him who is invisible. In other words, the, the thing that Moses did wasn't even about setting the people free here. What he did, according to Hebrews, was he laid aside his fear because he perceived God. All right, so it goes on. Uh, the, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Rahab did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the sp spies in peace. Let me just pause there and say, uh, women don't get much on the list, right? In the Old Testament, there aren't a lot of named women anyway. But do you guys remember who Rahab is? I love that she made this list. Do you remember me telling you the story, if you've been watching online? Uh, but there's a story where Caleb and Joshua, they're on the verge of the promised land. There's other people who are occupying it. And so they are sent in by Moses and Aaron as spies to scope it out. Well, the person on the other side, who was not an Israelite, who was from Jericho, who was of their people, is a woman named Rahab. And Rahab receives them, lets them hide out in her house, protects them when people come looking for them, saying, we know that there's foreigners in town. Are they here? And she goes, no, 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 they're not here, even though they were. And so Rahab makes the list. So we have Rahab, and then it kind of goes more general. It says this. Just listen to this soaring rhetoric here. What more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jethar and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched raging fires, escaped the edge of a sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Right? Get that? All that old, all that, look at all these people and all they've done. I could go on and on and on, the author is saying, of all these people and what they've done in the history. And then he switches to the New Testament with this one line. And women received their dead by resurrection. Oh, I just, <laughs> the soaring rhetoric of the Old Testament and just switch. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world, the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. And then we get to the conclusion. This is right before the therefore, right? That just packed up therefore. All these characters you're supposed to be thinking about. And the author wraps up it with this. Yet all of these, all the named characters, 
though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Do you know what he just said? The author said, you may think Abraham got his happy ending because the people ended up in the promised land. They did. He goes, nope, that's not the happy ending. You think Moses set the people free and that's their happy ending? Nope, that's not the happy ending. None of them got their happy ending, he says. They're all waiting. They're still waiting. In the moment when he's writing this, writing this out, he's saying, somewhere, heaven, Abraham, Moses, Rahab, those women, they're all waiting. And what are they waiting for? Well, they're waiting for the true happy ending, the promises to fully be fulfilled, which is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, I imagine. What's so fascinating about what is right before the therefore that we're talking about this morning is the author says they're waiting for you. The author says there is a continuum. We look back at our own histories, we look back at our own stories, these are our people. And we do it because knowing that they could do it means we can do it too. And that's when you get to the therefore. They're waiting for you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, run the race of perseverance. I think that's why we get inspired about it, right? We look back at our own people and we say to ourselves, this is the reinforcing message, the kind of the, the unconscious script, right? It just runs in our back of our heads. It kind of motivates us to act, even if we're not thinking about it consciously. We have our stories about history and people and our people. And what it, we say to ourselves back there unconsciously is, if they could do it, so can I. If Abraham can step out into the world in faith, even though he doesn't know where he's going, so can I. If Moses can lay aside all of his fears because he perceives that God is with him in everything, so can I. If the women can receive their dead by resurrection, so can I. That's what inspires. There are people. And I just think it's brilliant of the author to then say to us, knowing that that's kind of how we're all responding, we're all looking back and feeling that thing of they did it, so can I, and then goes, by the way, they're not done either. They're waiting for you to do what they did. You're part of their story. They're not just part of your story, you're part of theirs. And they wait for you to have that kind of faith and that kind of perseverance to lay aside those fears and to step out in faith. All those things, they wait for you. Therefore, take on that perseverance of faith. So that's the first part. I said there's going to be two parts. Uh, that's the first part of what is in this passage. 
of what inspires us to act. The second part, though, and it's verse 2. I'll reread it again here in a second. But to understand that for, for the author of Hebrews, or us as Christians in general, it's not just that part of our own people and our own past, right? And there's more to it. There's a second part. Think about it this way. Um, the second part is because of this. Like I said before, that, that idea of they can do it, I can do it too. It's like this unconscious thought that runs in the back of our heads. We retell ourselves this story, and then we get the courage to pick it up and do it ourselves. The only thing is, if we're honest about it, Moses and Abraham and Joshua and Rahab and everyone else in the Bible, yes, they're back there, but they're not the only ones back there, are they? There are other stories and other kinds of things we celebrate that end up in the back of our heads running the script of they did it, I can do it too. Uh, Western civilization tells a story. You may think Christianity and Western civilization are the same thing. I think the ancient Israelites would have something to say about that. But the Western civilization story is running in the back of your head. The American story is running in the back of your head. And I know a lot of folks over the years who, who think that the Christian story and the American story are the same thing, but it, they're not. There can be a Venn diagram, you know a Venn diagram, two great big circles, and they meet in the middle somewhere where they overlap. But the American story is not always the Christian story. How many people do you know in the modern age uh, are really inspired and have a script running in the back of their heads because of something like Star Wars? <laughs> Or the Marvel characters. Or Harry Potter. They can celebrate the fact that those characters did something and they read them and they go, those characters can do it, so can I. I wouldn't say there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But here's where part two comes in. The confession that we have more than just God's story running in the back of our heads. And if we want to actually be people of faith, who actually do persevere, like Abraham and Moses, then some of that unconscious stuff has to become conscious. Some of that stuff that we just kind of run on needs to be a thing we analyze in ourselves and say, am I really living this out the way God would want? And so here's part two. The first part is just our ancestors, our spiritual ancestors. The second part is that is the difference between the Marvel and the Star Wars and the, the rest of those stories that run in the back of your head. It's God. And that's what you get in verse 2, right? You've just been told, therefore, run, with, perfe- run per- with perseverance. And then in verse 2 it says, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him did what? He did three things. He endured the cross, he disregarded shame, and he took his seat at the right hand of God. Part one is just looking at our ancestors. Part two is recognizing there is God in this story. Sort of like this. I keep using the word perseverance. If they can do it, I can do it too. If you think about it, every story that you've ever heard is a story of perseverance. Somebody faces a challenge and they persevere through it to the end, and that's how they become the hero. 
So you have it in Abraham and you have it in Moses and all these other characters. They persevered to the end. But part two of our story is different because it isn't just, you know, Iron Man feels bad that he lost the universe to Thanos and so he perseveres until he wins again. Sorry if I just did a spoiler on it. If you had seen that movie by now, I don't think you will either, right? For us as Christians, the way part two goes is it's not our perseverance, it's God's perseverance. I did this with the confirmation kit. Of course, we canceled that class last spring because of COVID, so I doubt if they remember this. I hope they remember this. We have an idea in Reformed Christianity called the perseverance of the saints. But guess who's persevering in that belief? It's not the saints. It's God. It's God who perseveres on our behalf. We persevere because God is persevering for us. Perseverance of the saints. It's not just that Abraham and Moses are these great characters. It's that God allowed it and made it and brought it forth in their lives. Every time Abraham wanted to ditch the plan, God put him back on course. Every time Moses wanted to give up, God put him back on course. Perseverance of the Saints, part two, is about God. And that's what I, we look at this as the bright golden line of a verse. One is to go, okay, what's the script running in the back of my head that comes from the stories of Abraham and Moses? Who are those people? Are they in my behavior? Am I acting like them? Then you also have to ask, am I acting like them the way God wants me to act too? Bringing that unconscious to the conscious. Hebrews gives you a clue on some of those things you need to do. Endure the cross. In other words, if you're going to pick up your cross and follow him like he did, you need to be able, or at least willing in this life, to suffer sometimes. Disregard shame. I think there's a lot of hope in that one. Because whether it is someone else in your life telling you how to feel about who you are, or the voice in the back of your head telling you who you are, wherever the voice of shame comes up, Jesus' example to us, the Christian story, is disregarded. And takes his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, you are a child of God. You get to go and sit with them. They're waiting for you. Go sit with them. You are royalty. But again, you've got to get part two right. You've got to bring that unconscious thought back up to the conscience. You have to think about the God who was there for Abraham and the God who was there for Moses and the rest of them. Who is this God that persevered? So if you haven't done that in a while, I'm going to do it now, okay? I'm going to wrap up with this. Remember, remember passages like this? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. For Abraham and Moses, the one who perseveres, who is this God? God is love. How about this one? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God is love, and God loves everyone. How about this one? 
And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. God is love. God loves everyone. And God says, you need to take care of the vulnerable because in this world, they're the ones that everyone else is going to ignore. I love everyone, but you got to make sure that they get picked up because no one else is. God is love. God loves everyone. God calls us to take care of the vulnerable. And then this one, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. God is love. God loves everyone. God calls us to the vulnerable. And in fact, those vulnerable ones, they also need to hear that the voice of shame in the back of their head needs to be turned off. And we don't need to add to the shame. It's one thing to sing Amazing Grace and say, God saved a wretch like me. But we also have to remember that that's their song as well. And so no matter how much you judge it, no matter how much you hate it, no matter how much you think it's wrong, the other children of God are a wretch saved by God. Grace is sufficient for them too, and grace is a scandal. Because how dare God love them too? Part two is going... That's the God I believe in. That's the God who's revealed to me. That's the one who was there for Moses and Abraham and Noah and Abel and Rahab and those women at the tomb. Their story is my story. My story is their story. And it is God who perseveres for all of us. All I ask is that if we use this passage as a bright golden line, right, the, the direction to go when things are confusing and scary is that you don't forget part two. And know and think about whether or not the way we act and live in this life reflects part two. Love for everyone, the vulnerable, even when it doesn't look like we think they deserve it. Grace is sufficient for all. Let me read to you again, just as a closing thought. Carry this with you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarded shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, thank you again for revealing yourself to be the God of love and grace. God, continue to tell us the story of your people. Give us the courage, the wisdom, to recognize the continuum of their story is our story and our story is theirs, that they wait for us, and the knowledge that if they could do it, so can we. Give us that courage, that strength, and give us the behavior that re re reflects you in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's stand.
yes let's stand and sing our next hymn god of grace and god of glory